This is the Adoptive Mom Podcast. Adoption may look different for each family, but we need solidarity from other crazy people who took this leap. And that is what we do here. We encourage, we build up, we share the wins and losses. We lean on each other and we get through this together. Thanks for joining us. Happy Monday, everybody, or whenever you're listening. Happy that day. Welcome to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. I am Alex Fitton, and I am here to bring you episodes on how the Enneagram influences our adoption journeys, and this one is going to kick off the number series. This is episode three of season seven, and that makes episode 96 overall. Today, we get to talk about my very favorite number, my own. The perks of being a one, man. We are always at the first part of these series. At the top of these episodes, I'm going to be giving a more detailed description of each number, and then we will head into the interview. So let's learn all about ones. All right, so ones are called the reformers. We are motivated by a basic desire to be good, to have integrity, and to be responsible. Our basic fear is to be corrupt, evil, defective, or to be seen as bad. We really like to be right, and we always strive to leave a place or situation better than how we found it. We have a tendency toward legalism, and we hold everyone to a very high, if not impossible, standard. Don't worry, though. We hold ourselves to even higher ones and even harsher forms of self-punishment. We are unique in the fact that we carry around a little frenemy wherever we go. We have what experts call an inner critic. I call mine Regina George. Our inner critic keeps us in line and beats us to a pulp when we perceive ourselves as out of line. I call her a frenemy because while the whole of it sucks, ones usually grow to have an unhealthy love and appreciation for our inner critics. We feel that we wouldn't be as effective or good or capable without them. We use our inner critics as an ultimate form of control over our own lives. If we can sense what is wrong with ourselves and adjust internally, then no one has to know our faults. And that's the lifelong struggle of a one, to disentangle ourselves from our inner critics and find ourselves in the chaos. It is then that we can find true joy and rest and beauty in the world and allow humans to have their humanity while still making improvements along the way. We are in the anger or gut triad, so we see the world through our own instincts and gut reactions, which are backed up by feelings, while having a suppressed sense of productive thinking. We are in the dependent stance, meaning that our motivations are shaped by something other, namely our inner critic. Ones with the two wing, that's me, are called the advocate. We are still firmly ones, but we share some of the warmth and empathy and hospitality of the twos. We are more self-aware and generally more relationally motivated than one wing nines. Ones with a nine wing are usually more calm and balanced and strive to mediate and keep the peace to achieve fair and just action. Like all of the other numbers, ones have a subtype of self-preservation, social, and one-to-one. Self-preservation ones are associated with more worry and paranoia than other one types and can actually mistype as sixes. They are much more pragmatic and detailed and tend to be more concerned with keeping order to maintain their own sanity and functionality. Social ones, that's me, are more externally focused. We strive to reform the world and society and are much more willing to change ourselves and our own bents and desires to fit the order and righteous needs of the world around us. 
Lastly, one-to-one ones are also called counter or sexual ones, tend to be more introspective and thoughtful than other ones. They see the world around them in light of a perfect comparison and struggle to unsee those faults and imperfections. So that is an overview of the Enneagram type ones. To talk more relationally about adoption and being a type one, we are going to chat with Kara Kay James. You may remember Kara Kay from episode 49, where she shared her adoption story and all about her company Thrive Moms and her book Mom Up. And she is doing some cool new stuff that she updates us on in the episode, as well as talking to her about being a one wing nine type and how that influenced her adoption journey. Before we get to that though, I want to remind you that the Adoptive Mom Podcast has merch now. If you head to the adoptivemompodcast.com slash shop, you can check out all of the designs, including the new Enneagram series tees. I am so excited. My favorite is obviously the one, but there are designs for every number and these will only be available for this season. So be sure to grab yours now. And again, that's at the adoptivemompodcast.com slash shop. All right, y'all, let's get to my interview with Kara K. James. All right, welcome back to the show, Kara Kay. I am really, really excited to have you back, especially because you have like some life updates on like what you're doing, um, you know, with your like life and your job and everything. So I'm excited to hear about that again. How's it going? Oh, so good. Thanks for having me. I loved being on your show last time. So I'm excited to talk to you again. I know. Yeah, you were definitely like a listener favorite. Everyone was like, who is this? What is Thrive Moms? What's this book? And so uh, really excited to get to share you with my listeners and to share you again. And we listen, this is probably the episode that I'm most excited about because it's very self-serving because we are both ones. Yay! <laughs> uh, but you're a one wing nine, so I think we're going to be able to have a really fun conversation. Um, before, and I'm a one wing two, so that's why it'll be it'll be good mm-hmm. to have some differences. So, before we jump into that, though, can you just remind us of who you are and kind of like fill us in on what your life is looking like now? Yeah, yeah, sure. So I'm Kara K. James. Um, I'm an author, a podcaster. I am a speaker. I do a lot of things. Um, I I used to run a ministry called Thrive Moms that I did for about seven years. And it was all about helping moms thrive in motherhood. And through I, a lot of it is my my adoption story. Through adopting my son, God really did this huge shift in my heart about five years ago. And I started on this journey of learning more about race and justice and things like that. And it really just sparked so much in me that I wanted to help women walk through you know, hard conversations that they maybe struggle to find their place in, mm. um, struggling within the church. I'm also a pastor's wife, so I've been through plenty of hardships within the church and things like that. So I'm really passionate about just walking through tough stuff um, with women. And that's what I do now. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's so incredibly needed because I feel like people, it, it's like you have to pick a side between evangelical, evangelical, excuse me, or progressive. And it's like, that's it. Right. Those, that's what you get to choose yeah. from instead of being like, yeah. no, I just like, I want to like learn about everything and walk with learn Jesus through it, it all. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it's really great that you're having those conversations and that you are, um, I don't know, making that available. And I loved like, um, as we're recording, the horrific death of George Floyd just happened and um, all of the protests have been going on and Kara Kay, you've been sharing about that heavily on your Instagram, which has been, Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I hesitate to say cool because it's not like 
right, this is right. a great situation, but it's been really cool to watch um, just yeah. the, the things you're teaching your son. And I mean, yeah, I know it wasn't great circumstances, but that picture of him on your shoulders holding the sign that said my life matters, yes. like, ah, uh, that's like needs to go in a magazine. Like it was the oh. best. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And, and actually that's very fitting for a one because we are reformers. Um, that's so, right. <laughs> yeah. So take a second and tell okay. us what is a one? Oh, ones are so much fun. And I'm <laughs> glad that you're a one because this is like, yeah, my people, um, there is, I love being a one. It has definitely had its hardships, which I think anybody would say that about their number. Um, I honestly thought I was a two when I first heard about the Enneagram and started, you know, I took some of the tests and those things. But as I like researched it more, started reading books, I was like, oh, I'm not a two. I'm not even a wing two. I'm a one wing nine. And so it was interesting. Like, I love being able to unpack that and really discover what my motivations were. And my husband and I read The Road Back to You together and was like, eye-opening of, wow, this is why you are the way that you are. And I mean, not in a bad way, but you know, it's like, this is why, this is why you do this. This is why you do this. And being able to work through those things myself just taught me so much about myself that I never really understood that I was always frustrated with myself about. And now it's helped me really grow into who I am and be confident in that. And I am so grateful that I have taken this journey to learn more about myself through the Enneagram. So yes. ones are awesome. That's we all are. I have to say. I We're was, the best. <laughs> he, I agreed. Listen, I feel like I have to talk people into it, though, because I always say, like, yeah. in general, stereotypically, we are not a lot of fun at parties, which is true. Yes. But true. I'm a so I don't know what your stance is. I'm a social one. And so I'm like, I feel like okay. I'm this weird hybrid of like, yes, I'm a one. And yes, I have an inner critic. And yes, I'm really mean mm-hmm. to myself. And yes, I want every, you know, perfectionistic, but I'm also like really into comedy. And like, I really, yeah. like, I'm, I, I'm, I'm hospitable. very much the same. Yeah. So I love having people to our house. And um, I, it's funny, because I was always kind of told myself I was an extrovert, but I'm more of like an ambivert. Um, after having a bunch of kids, I need time and space mm-hmm. for myself. Um and a lot of times people wear me out um, because I'm trying to like perfect the relationships and the conversations and those kind of things. That's the, the inner critic in me is like, oh, you know, and so sometimes relationships wear me out and being around a lot of people does wear me out. And so sometimes I need that time to just be by myself and be a little bit of an introvert. So, yeah, yeah, I feel you. I feel that so much. And I, because I am an extrovert, I'm realizing, especially through like COVID quarantine, I'm like, right. Just, I'm like, why am I so tired? Oh, yeah, because I'm an extrovert and like there's no one to talk to. Yes. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I have like two things on my schedule and I'm like, ah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Which is funny because the part of the, the introvert part of me during COVID, I was like, I could do this forever. Like, when I didn't have to like go into a store to like get something and I could order food and they'd bring it out to my car and I could like go to the coffee shop and sit outside and they'd bring it out to me. I was like, this is great. I don't have to make small talk. And so I think that's the thing. It's like, I don't like small talk. I want to like get into the real, the real stuff. Um, and that, okay. So I have a theory about this. You can tell me if it's like a one thing or if it's just a me thing, but I, I have always really struggled. And I realized that like social media wears me out, zoom calls wear me out. Um, 
even just like texting can sometimes wear me out because I really don't love the small talk. I really want to just like get into an authentic conversation and that does energize me. But I feel like the, the false kinds of communication or the false kinds of extrovert or whatever, it, it doesn't, it wears me out and not like fulfills me. Is that for you too? Absolutely. Yeah. That is like, (sighs) you hit it right there. I feel so validated right now. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Um, okay. So yes, you are following, uh, my interview with Suzanne Stabile and she was very gracious to talk a lot about being a one for me, which was awesome. But, um, Uh tell us about this inner critic. So she was talking specifically about adoption and how, um, like ones are good adoptive moms, but we are also really, really hard on ourselves. So this is something that whenever I came into the Enneagram, I realized that not everyone has an inner critic. I thought that was just how everyone felt. I did too. That was shocking for me. Like, wait, you don't think those things, you don't beat yourself up all day. Yeah. You don't think you're terrible at everything. Yeah. That was shocking to me too. So as an adoptive mom, that's hard because I, I put a lot of pressure on myself that I need to my son is black. That's adopted. I need to teach him everything about his culture. I need to make sure. And he's four. Like (laughs) right now, all he realizes about, he doesn't even really understand adoption. Like we've talked some about, cause I have three biological children and they always talk about when they were in mommy's tummy or whatever. And like, I've told him, well, you didn't come out of mommy's tummy. And he's like, where did I come out of? Like, your mouth or something? Like, how did you, like, how did I get here? He doesn't get that. Yeah. Um, and so he's like, whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, and so he doesn't get the concept of adoption yet, but I just feel this pressure to make sure he understands that I say everything correctly to him, mm-hmm. that he understands everything correctly and that I don't mess him up to where he's going to a hate me and my husband and, and B hate his first family that did make the choice to place him with us. And so there's just so many things that I'm like, okay, did I say that right? Did I do this right? Am I going to disappoint him? And so, yeah, man, there's so much that goes into it. Yes. And it's hard because that inner critic often tells me, and I'm guessing you too, that it's weird because to the outside, a lot of people can perceive us as like, procrastinators or um, standoffish or not doing, you know, they're like, I thought you were a perfectionist. And I was like, this is me being a perfectionist. I'm like in my, like my mind is telling me to just not try because I will fail. Um, And that's really hard with adoption too, because it's like, why even try to correct behaviors? Why even try to handle that meltdown the right way? Because I'm just going to fail. So I just like, then you spiral and it's, it's hard. Um, But you know, the whole reformer thing, it does, like on paper, it makes us really good for that. So talk to us about how you being a one influenced your desire to adopt, like just starting out and then your role in the adoption process. Yeah. I, a lot of it for me is that justice mindset. Mm -hmm. I've always had that strong pull toward justice and, you know, anything that really tugged at my heart just made me want to go fix the world. Um, and so adoption was just one of those things for me. Um, adoption really goes back to my growing up, my youth pastor and his wife were adoptive parents. And so that was kind of my first experience with adoption and really seeing it. Um, and then I also, I took a trip to Africa when I was about 17, 18 years old and I saw 
some orphanages and all these kids who had lost their parents or had been abandoned by their, their families. And that just like ripped me open. Like, how is this happening? How is this part of our world? How, how are these kids just not taken care of? And so I knew then, okay, someday this is going to be part of my story. This is going to be something I have to step into. Um, and so it was just those, those, really big things that happened in my upbringing that showed me the importance of taking care of children and, you know, the orphans and widows, like the Bible tells us to, and, and just stepping into spaces that are hard and that are, you know, you're unsure about, um, because I have that big justice mindset of this is wrong. We need to fix this and we need to you know, and as a one, I'm like, we got to do it perfectly. We're going to do this right. Um, because if, if I don't do it, nobody else is going to do it. That's always my thing. Like, yes. well, everybody else is going to fail at it. So I better do it and lead the way, which that's a bad inner critic thing, I think to have. Um, because then I can, that kind of puffs up my pride of, well, I'm doing this really well. I'm so good at this. Um, and so that's one of those things. It's like, all right, come down off your pedestal. It's not about you. You know, it's about really helping these kids and helping their their birth parents and things like that. So yeah, oh, good stuff. I mean, thank you, thank you for explaining all of that. Because that, again, that's so much how I feel and kind of how how I was too. And I think probably a lot of listeners. Um, yeah. And it's hard to feel that weight of like, I got to do it all myself. And it's, it's hard. I mean, they say it's hard at the top. And it's like, you never want to perceive yourself as being at the top. But I think that as perfectionists, sometimes we we get placed there, or we accidentally put ourselves there. And then it's lonely, and it's hard. Um, And that's like part of that healthy stuff of like how we become healthier and how we can learn to ask for help and everything. And we'll get into all that. Mm -hmm. But how do you think your oneness (laughs) influences your parenting now, like present day? Um, one of the big struggles for me with parenting as a one is I set the bar really high for my kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I expect them to perform at the level that I would like, well, you didn't clean your room to my standard of cleaning your room because it's not perfect in the way that I see it in my mind. Um, and so that is a big struggle and that comes into my parenting a lot and I'm daily having to ask for forgiveness from my kids. I'm sorry. I was so hard on you for that. That was just me putting expectations on you that are unattainable for you as a 10 year old or whatever, you know? And so I just have to constantly take a step back and realize kids are kids Mm -hmm. and I'm going to have to like chill a little bit and just let them be kids and let them learn in their own ways. And, and knowing that they're not all ones, you know, all my kids are not perfectionists. And that's hard because I think we expect our kids to be little clones of us Mm -hmm. and whatever our number is. And so it's a struggle to watch them be kids when they are nothing like us. And that's one of the hardest things for me. Yes. I think that, I mean, you know, of course, we're not supposed to type our kids and you can certainly leave room for change. But I have found that it's easy for me to at least like wonder about my kids and what their number might be mm-hmm. and what their motivation might be. And it's interesting because my daughter, um, I really feel like she could be a seven, um, which is where we go in health as ones and or in um, security. And it's been yeah. really cool to think about that in a different way and to look at her and 
kind of see the beauty in her spontaneity and in her just like silliness. And that's not me. Like at my core, I am not silly. I am not spontaneous, but being able to even learn from her. Um, and, and it's just, it's kind of been really, it's been really cool. Um, uh, I was going to say it's hard. You know, we talked earlier, it's hard for us as ones to find the middle ground. And we, you yeah. know, that's the beauty of your podcast is that you're kind of like defying your personality and finding that middle mm-hmm. ground. Um, but with kids, it's like, I find myself either like being really, um, way too strict, like what you were saying, it's like holding mm-hmm. them to have really high expectations or just giving up and letting everything go. And the tantrums yeah. abound and it, it, I have such a hard time finding that middle ground. What about you? Yes. Oh, so much. It's funny. I just texted my husband this morning and I was like, am I being too nice? Is that why the kids are walking all over me? And he was like, he's like, how do I answer this question without getting in trouble? (laughs) And so it was just funny because it was like, I I do that. I'm one extreme or the other Mm -hmm. because I have a hard time finding middle ground and just sitting and having a conversation with them and relating to them because I'm either like, that's where the anger comes out Mm -hmm. as a one, you know, and that's where I'm like, you're not doing this right. You're messing up. And I just fly off at them or I'm like, whatever, there's no use. Like there's no use in trying because they're going to do it wrong. They're, they're not going to listen and things like that. And Mm -hmm. so, man, that middle ground is tough and it's taken a lot of practice for sure to, and I feel like I find it with some of my kids better than others. Um, and I know you're not supposed to type your kids, but my oldest I'm pretty sure she's a one. We've always said since she was an infant that she's like the carbon copy of me. Yes. (laughs) And so the things that she did, she does, we'll watch her and we're like, oh my gosh, that's such a one thing to do. Um, She's just so similar to me. And so we can have great conversations. We can relate to each other. Well, we get along really well. I mean, even times that I have to like get onto her for something, she kind of looks at me like, what is happening here? Like, She's just such a like easygoing kid. And the the most correction I have to give her is th- I feel like I'm talking to myself. Like it doesn't have to be perfect. It's okay to, you know, do something and it not be exactly what you expect. And you have to stop listening to the voice in your head. You know, those are the conversations that I have with her. And I'm like, she's so a one. But my my nine-year-old is like, I'm pretty sure she's an eight. And that is so hard for me because I'm yeah. like, I do not understand eights. I don't get it. I don't get how you just say everything that's in your head. I don't get, you know, I just don't get all that. But I understand like the, they have just that strong justice part of them also. And so mm-hmm. we relate really well on that level of really caring for people and, and being very justice minded. So it's just, it's crazy how those things do come into play when I'm like, okay, I, I shouldn't type you, but you're obviously this. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Oh yeah, no, my so my oldest is also I'm real I'm positive he's a one. He's 5 and that's the same thing like when I correct yeah. him it's like you're not the mom, I am. Like that's the biggest thing I have yes. to tell him all the time. It's I like, say that all the time. Oh yeah. I'm in charge, not you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or yeah, it doesn't have to be perfect or something or like especially holding his siblings to that standard and I'm like, it's anyway, it it kind of, it can feel like a losing battle sometimes, but that eight thing is really interesting because we are all in the anger triad, but, or the, Mm -hmm. you know, um, gut triad, anger triad. Um, and something I've always found interesting is that while eights, while ones internalize our anger, 
eights externalize mm-hmm. it. So it's like, yes, to the degree that they can be so outspoken and confrontational to others, that's how we are to ourselves, which is really yes. interesting balance to me. Yes. Um, okay. So yeah, that was actually my next question is how do you think it relates with your kids' personalities? Um, and you've talked about two of them. Which one do you think, do you, is it the eight that you struggle with the most? Um, or is it another kid? 100%. <laughs> no, it is that 100%. And, and a lot of it is that because there's so much like anger that's coming out. Mm-hmm. And so just relating to that, because to me, it's like, well, I asked you to pick up your room. That's not that big of a deal. But it's, you know, it's everything's a battle. And she has a hard time managing her her emotions and just controlling those things. And so it's so hard, I think, to parent kids who are complete opposites of you. Yeah. So yeah, it is a challenge. We have no, we have no access to eights. Like we don't, we can't wing to eight and we don't go their insecurity or stress. So it's interesting. I feel like eights and fives. Um, and I think one of my kids who actually sounds a lot like that, but I, I kind of wonder if he's a five, uh, Mm -hmm. just because he needs so much alone time and so much recharge time and all of this other stuff. But I feel like those are two numbers that I struggle to understand because um, yes. we have no access that to them. That is so true. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. So you've talked about your husband. What is his number? He's a seven. So he's <gasps> loads of fun. <laughs> so fun. It's great. We have, and it's funny, I've always said this, like we balance each other so well. Um, and I didn't really, I don't think I really understood until we read the road back to you together. And it was like, Oh my gosh, obviously we work well together because he makes me more fun. I make, I help him to, you know, be a little more organized and structured. Um, but yeah, it, it balances well. Of course we get annoyed with each other of like, I'm like, can you please help me around here instead of having so much fun? And he's like, can you please just come have some fun? (laughs) So, I mean, there's definitely those moments, but we really balance each other well and it, it works out great for us. So I love that. And I know that you're a big podcast listener as am I. So does he remind you of Jamie a lot? Um, sort of, but I love Janie. She is like my, like the epitome of like an extreme seven, like the definition of a seven, I guess. My husband is not quite as like, he's not bouncy and like, he's not always like bouncing off the walls. Um, he, he's a wing eight. And so he has a lot of those eight tendencies. He's, I mean, his job is he works within the local community and helps people. He's a pastor of, um, like I always forget his title, pastor of local and city city and global engagement or something like that. So he, that's what he does is takes care of people and he's very passionate about those kinds of things. And so he's just super, super justice minded. And so he gets all that passion comes out when he's talking about that kind of stuff. And I'm like, Hey, you, your eight wing needs to slow down a little bit. I can't keep up. <laughs> You're like, but how but, are we going to like do that? Like, today. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, I need to make a list and then we're be, then we'll be good. Yes. So, um, yeah, it's great, but he's, yeah, he's definitely not as bouncy and all over the place, but he's a lot of fun. So how do you think that you guys work together, um, in your numbers to parent your kids, especially within your adoption? Yeah, we've, we've tried to make sure that dad's not always the fun one and mm. mom's 
not always the one that's laying down the law and setting the rules. Um, because for a long time we struggled with that. Um, because it was just naturally dad was fun. Mom was the rule maker and, and and that was a really big struggle. And so it, it took some practice and it took some time to, for me to get outside of my box and say, Hey, I'm going to be the fun one. I'm going to make sure I'm putting fun into this role. Like with my son specifically, he's just, I mean, he's four. So he's in this stage of like really testing all of his boundaries. And so there has to be a lot of rules in place and a lot of boundaries to, to keep him safe for Mm -hmm. one thing. Um, and just to help him begin to like be a functioning member of society, like you can't do this, you can't do that. Um, and so those things are just important, but I take the time to take him out for a slushy because he loves to do that. I take the time to yesterday. I went and swam in the pool with just him for a while. And he loves that like one-on-one attention because I have four kids. All of my kids love one-on-one attention, Mm -hmm. but just making sure we take the time to kind of switch roles um, intentionally. And so my husband will take the time to sit down with the kids and have that important talk of, Hey, you guys are, you're slipping. You're not following the rules. You're not doing these things that you need to do to be part of this family. And so that has been really huge for us just to not fall into our roles of, you know, of man and woman necessarily like showing our kids that we can do, we can all work together as a family, but then also showing our kids like mom can be fun and dad can be strict also. I love all of that. Like that was just, that's just great. Like parenting advice in general, but, um, but it's so hard. I mean, I think specifically for, uh, for us as ones, it, it can be hard to either, it's like you're either too strict or you give up and, um, and that can, I don't know, that can just be such a hard balance, but that intentionality is sometimes what, I mean, all the time it's what it takes, but it's sometimes not our first go-to, but just in our minds. So yeah, great advice. Um, okay. How do you think that you being a one influences your needs as a mom or a wife or just everything? I have a hard time slowing down and I have a really hard time asking for help. So it it's a struggle because I feel like, well, I need to do it. I think I said this earlier, like if I don't do it, nobody's going to do it or they're not going to do it right. And so I've struggled to allow other people to, you know, come in and do things and help with things. And um, it's funny. I asked my husband, like one day, one time we were talking about the Enneagram and I was like, what are some of the most one things I do? And he was like, well, you always go and reload the dishwasher after I do it and, you know, things like that. So I'm like, I just have to like step back, but I I have a hard time caring about my needs because I'm so worried about making sure everyone else's needs are met. And that has been a journey I've had to go on of realizing, I mean, that whole thing of you can't pour from an empty cup or whatever, you know, the analogy is, but I have to take that time to take care of me so that I can be better for them. Because when I am empty and I haven't taken time to do whatever it is that I need, if I just need a nap or if I need, you know, to get out of the house by myself, if I'm not taking time to do those things, then I am putting a lot of the negative parts of my oneness onto my family. Mm -hmm. And that is not fun for any of us. um, Because that's when I raise the expectations even more. And that's when I make the the lists even more and all of those things because I'm frustrated. And so I'm just, 
annoyed. And then usually I just shut myself off um, because I don't. I end up like, I don't care. I'm walking away. It doesn't matter. And it, none of us are healthy then. Right. So, yeah. Well, and that's that I mean, four. That's the negative parts. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And where we go in stress. And and one thing that was interesting yep. that um, I really learned, because I'm kind of like a clawing my way out of a season of just like really kind of feeling that foreness. Like I yeah. just had a lot of stuff happen um, over the past eight months or so. And, um, and I think before I had, I held a lot of judgment for fours and yeah. not, not to be mean or any, no offense to any fours, but I think I just didn't understand. I, it felt very like self-serving or, you know, whatever. And since I've been in that space for a long time, it's been really cool to see, the beauty of fours and the creativity and um, just the the way that you can see pain around you and sit in it. Um, it's kind of a blessing. And I think it's, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because um, it can feel really jarring to feel so opposite of yourself, you know, like to, to yes. feel so on top of things and then go to where you just feel like you've lost control of everything. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so what is, what does self-care look like for you? Um, just as far as when we were talking about needs as a mom. Um, yeah. For me, it's like shutting down. Like it feels really good mm-hmm. to just turn the world off. What about you? Yes, it is so good. I'm very similar to that. Usually when I'm like to that point that I just need some time, I will either go like to a coffee shop, go wander around Target or TJ Maxx or something like that. Just go wander and look at things that kind of helps me shut my brain off mm-hmm. from thinking about all the things I need to do and all the things I need to fix and all of that to just thinking about nothingness, um, that helps me to just reset a little bit. Um, or one of my favorite things to do is like my husband comes home from work and I'm like, peace, I am going to our bedroom and I will sit on the bed and watch a TV show, read a book, whatever it is that is like, I'm just going to unplug, sit here and let my brain rot because I just need that time to do nothing. And it's so great. And I love that. So yeah, yeah, it's not crazy for me. It's just, and which I'm like, when I say those things, I'm like, Oh, I'm such an introvert. But <laughs> I think it's also the season of life that I'm like, overwhelmed with kids and, you know, things like that, that I just like to have that time. Yeah. Alone. Yeah. I mean, and ones we don't play well, like, I mean, not, yeah. not like we don't play well with others, but like, that doesn't make sense. Like to me, that doesn't make sense. I'm like, just like do something fun. Like fun to me yeah. is like turning my brain off. And <laughs> yes, yes. I know it's funny. My husband and I always joke like when we go on vacation, we have to find a good, like we love going on cruises. And so we have to find a good mix of like, I get to have this like perfect chair right here under a palm tree mm-hmm. to rest in. But my husband, like we always try to find beaches that have like inflatable things in the ocean and, and you know, that he can go snorkeling and all that stuff. And I'm like, I'm really just good to sit here with my book for like mm-hmm. six hours and he'll sit down and read with me for like 20 minutes. He's like, okay, I got to go do something. Like I can't sit here. I can't sit. Preach <laughs> so sister. Like, yeah. So I'm good with turning my brain off and <laughs> I love reading novels because that helps me turn my brain off and mm-hmm. just get into like another world. I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Novels are great. Now, nonfiction is harder for me. I prefer to listen to that because I can do yep. something while I, I listen same. to it because I yep. feel like I live in nonfiction constantly. So if I sit down and read it, I'm yes. like, ah, I can't focus. I'm taking time that I could be doing something else. <laughs> right. 
Oh my gosh, we're like, this is amazing. I mean, I say we're like the same person, but it's obvious because we are both <laughs> ones. Uh, but yeah, my husband, right. we went to Mexico a couple of years ago and they were like, they had all these like beach games and he's like, you want to play beach volleyball? And I was like, that's a no. And he's like, you want to play like life-size Angry Birds? And I was like, um, no, I will watch you. Also and a no. <laughs> that's a hard pass for me. <laughs> Great. Like, that it. sounds like the worst. I'm going to sit here and be Maybe served. we should go on vacation with you guys. And so we can sit and do nothing and our husbands can go play like children. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. My husband's a three. And so I feel like he has a lot of those same tendencies to just be like yes, doing, I doing, doing. Like doing. Similar. Mm. Yeah. I got to do this. I got to do this. Yeah. Ah, that sounds fun. Let's do it. Um, okay. Yep. Are you ready to get into these closing questions? Let's do it. Okay. What is the most, I mean, I know you said the dishwasher thing, but what is the most overtly one thing about you, maybe besides the dishwasher? Oh my gosh. I could give you a list. And it's funny because I knew you were going to ask this question. And I text my husband this morning. I was like, hey, what's the most overtly one thing about me? And he sent me a list of like 20 things. And I was like, (laughs) this is not funny. You need to stop right now. He said that I touch the sheets on my side of the bed. I fold down sheets before I get into bed every night. I fold my towels in two thirds instead of halves. Uh, Apparently, there's a lot of like detail things that I do. I do all of those things. I see nothing wrong. What's wrong? Isn't doesn't everybody do that? Isn't that normal? He's like, I feel like I live in a hotel sometimes because like the towels are perfect, and we always joke that. Are you were you a Friends watcher? Oh yeah. Oh, of course, because I'm such a Monica, which I'm yes. sure you're such a Monica too. And so yes. I always joke about like Monica's towels. She had like 11 types of towels and like just the things that she did. I was like, why, why do people think this is funny? This is real. Yeah. So I yeah, constantly I am like fighting off the temptation to talk to my kids about crummies mm-hmm. <laughs> and tell them they have to oh, eat their babe. cookies over the sink like Chandler. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I also organize my husband's closet by color. And he thinks that's the weirdest thing after I started doing that when we got married and he was like, what is wrong with you? What are you doing? And I was like, it's rainbow, right? Like you do that. Yeah. Putting your clothes away. Obviously. And he's like, he feels so much pressure to like keep it in order. And I slacked off a lot in the last few years and tried to like be more cool about it. And so (laughs) see, I don't try. I put it, uh, I put the hanging clothes on his bed because he, I organized them by rainbow colors and like type so I had like long sleeves and short sleeves and then he immediately yep. stopped trying to keep it straight so now he puts his own clothes away because there you go if you're gonna complain it. about it do it yourself exactly <laughs> uh I love that list except yeah I'm like what is wrong is that wrong <laughs> yeah yep. um okay what are your favorite and least favorite things about being one okay favorite thing is man I can get a lot of stuff done in a day mm-hmm. I mean I can sit and knock out a to-do list like nobody else. I have so many, a lot of times my friends are like, you did what? Like, how did you get all this done? One of my best friends is a nine and she's always like, which is great. She's a nine wing one and I'm a one wing nine. And so it's like, we get each other a little bit Mm -hmm. because it's like our, sometimes our wings will come out and, but it's funny. She's always like, how did you do all of this today? She's like, I barely, I procrastinated so much. I barely got anything done. And I was like, Yeah, well, that's the joy of being a one. You just, (laughs) you make your list and you knock it out. So I do like that. I can get a lot of things done. Um, Probably my least favorite thing is the amount of pressure I put on myself Mm -hmm. to be perfect and put on other people that I love because that, that's a challenge I'm always working through. Those are like, yeah, this is such good. So good and just well put. Um, Okay. 
What do you wish every one mom knew about our number growing into adoption? Oh, man. I think that you can't fix everything mm. and you can't control everything. Because I think that's what we we so want to do as moms, um, especially through adoption. We, we want to fix it all and we want to make sure we're in control of everything. And that was like the number one lesson I learned through the adoption process is that I'm not in control. Um and I can't like, I can't control the situation. I can't fix the situation. I just have to be present and I have to be willing and able to do what, whatever comes along. And so that is advice I give any mom, but as I would probably especially say to a one. Mm. I think that, um, just to tag on to that, cause I definitely felt that very quickly when we, um, cause we adopted a teen as well as our, the baby we adopted. And mm. I, I think I fooled myself into thinking because I have been able to bend almost everything in my life to my will, right? Because that's who I am and I'm good at that. And I think no one really told me that adoption doesn't work that way and that it doesn't matter how good I am or how perfect I am or how hard I work. Trauma does whatever it wants. And yeah, like all you can do is sit in it with them. And Mm -hmm. like that was, that was, that was a lesson that kind of like knocked me on my butt. So, um, Yeah, I'm glad that you uh, that that was your advice. So speaking of advice, what is your biggest piece of advice or encouragement for Enneagram one adoptive mom? So like on the other side of adoption? Um, I would say be as flexible as you can, uh, as yourself will allow be flexible. Um, because like you said, like we never know what's going to happen. You, you just never know. It's all so uncertain and un- unseen. And so I try to remind myself constantly, like, I need to just be flexible. I need to roll with the punches. I need to walk through this to be the best mom that I can be to my child, my adopted child, who I am almost 100% confident is a seven, like <laughs> his father, even though they don't have the same DNA, they are like, carbon copies of each other. Um, I think my son's a little more energetic than him though. (laughs) He is, he is all about people. He is all about fun. He's constantly bouncing from one thing to the next. And I know some of that's boy, but that's just one of those, like everybody says that about him. Like that boy is like just fun. He is the epitome of like fun and energy and joy and, I have to remind myself I need to be flexible in who I am to be the best mom for him and to to continue to be that way for him as he grows and as he learns about his race, his culture, his his adoption story and what that means for him, because I don't want to put any of that, those struggles on him and, and to really be open to have whatever conversations he needs to have. And I mean, yesterday he we, we're big into the, you know, We've taken him to two protests now. We're teaching him all the things. And yesterday he said, Mom, why do we say Black Lives Matter? And I was like, whoa, deep question for a four-year-old. Yeah. And he looked at his, he pointed at his arm. He goes, but Mom, my skin is brown, not black. So it was like, <laughs> oh, we got a long way to go. Like so many things to teach and explain and unpack. But but they're listening and they're they're learning and growing no matter what stage they're in. So we just have to be flexible to let them be who they are and walk with them through that. Yeah. And it's it's such a joy to be able to see kids. Um, you know, I know that say like as adults, we don't say I don't see color because we see color right. and we appreciate it and we love it and celebrate right. it. But as kids, it feels like they genuinely don't see it. And right. like they're 
they just are kind of like, we're all kids. Like, what are you talking about? And my son, his favorite color is brown. And so, which is the weirdest thing. (laughs) For a kid to have a favorite color be brown, but anyway, he points. That's okay, Kendrick, my son Kendrick says the same thing. You ask him his favorite color, and he says brown, like me. I love that, so, but yeah, my son Rock, who is white, he will walk around and point to people and be like brown, 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 and I, it's yep. just like that's what he sees. He's like, they're my favorite color. They're awesome. That's and, my favorite color. I I love that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, love it. Um, okay, well, where can we find you and um and you know you personally and your podcast? Yeah. Okay, so my website is karakjames.com. I'm on the socials, mostly Instagram and Facebook at karak.james. Um, and you can find my podcast there too. It, the podcast is called Asking for a Friend and it's, you know, wherever you listen to podcasts. I love it. And we're going to go have a really fun conversation over on Patreon. So if you want to be a part Ooh. of that, head to patreon.com slash mom. But until next time, we'll talk to you later, Karakay. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Oh, yeah. so much for listening to the adoptive mom podcast. I hope you found encouragement here. I need you to know that you are enough and you're doing a great job. We are all in this together and I am over here cheering you on. Don't forget to check out show notes for this episode and other resources at the adoptive mom Thanks for joining us.